Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Today's guest is Jenny Wordsworth. Jenny is probably most well-known in recent times for being one of only a very few and a very small handful of women to reach the South Pole on her own on a solo trip. It was her second attempt. And by the time she got there, she had an extreme case of what's called polar thigh, something we talk about. And she talks about how she managed to get through extreme amounts of pain because of the superhuman grit that she showed getting there. Uh, We talk about how she got into this sort of thing, her background, all sorts of adventures, Marathon de Sable, having a new baby. Obviously, that's a fairly big adventure that she's right in the thick of right at the moment. It's a brilliant conversation, so fun. Uh, Neither of us were expecting a Scottish accent at the end of the phone, so that was a little bit of a an added bonus and quite fun. But we really got had a good old chinwag about a lot of things. I forgot to ask Jenny what her challenge Katie was, but as you will hear in the recording, uh, she asked me to do something with her, which I'm pretty sure she's going to regret. So I've said we can regroup on that, but it's probably the biggest and most enormous challenge Katie I will ever be set. So (laughs) I'll say no more. I'll leave you to hear it, but a brilliant conversation and especially huge thanks to Jenny for giving me an hour of her time when she has a seven week old baby, because I remember having a seven week old baby and I was still in my pajamas and couldn't speak to anyone. So very many thanks. And I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Good, fine, thank you. Um, very, very excited to have you on the podcast because uh, I've followed your adventures with ever increasing awe and a little bit of grossed outness at points. <laughs> I think we know what we're talking about and we'll come on to that, but so excited to have you here. So thanks very much. No, thank you very much. Um, so I just want to talk. Well, we might as well go straight to the gross doubtness. How is the polar thigh? Let's just cut straight to the chase. How is yeah. the gross thigh? Yeah. Is it better? Yeah, I get asked like that a lot. So it's nearly, I think it's just um, oh, a year after the injury now. Um, mm-hmm. Leg looks great. Um, I I think it's still, like, I'm I'm completely over it, but I think it still mm. shocks people when they see it. So if I'm in shorts, mm. something, people will be like, oh, my goodness, what happened to your leg? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that. Um <laughs> But no, it's fine. I have been offered further surgery to kind of um, make the scar look a bit prettier. Mm. But um, I said no to it. Um, I'm sort of, I sort of love it now. And um, no one else says this or thinks this, but I think it looks a bit like the outline of Antarctica. And seeing as that's where the injury happened, um, oh. I think it looks like the coastline. So. <laughs> That's very cool. So for those who are not familiar with your story, you yeah. uh, were set off for your second attempt and you achieved the solo. Well, you tell us, you tell, because I will probably say the wrong words and give the wrong information. So <laughs> off to the South Pole, but tell us. Yeah. So um, the first attempt, I think, was well three years ago now, and I was attempting mm-hmm. to break the world record to go solo, unsupported and unassisted. 
um, from the coastline of Antarctica to the South Pole, which is like 700 odd miles. Mm. And the record, which still stands, um, is 38 days plus change. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Is this a woman's record or overall record? No, that's the woman's record. Yeah, the right. men's record, don't quote me on this, I think is 24, 25 days, something like mm. that. that hasn't been broken in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave that a bash and um, I was medivaced on day 22 mm. with a bowel infection um was heartbroken you can imagine how much effort mm. it was to, to planning an expedition like that training for everything came back regrouped and um decided i was going back for a second attempt the same year so the antarctic wow. season for something like this runs from november to january so i got mm. home in january and said look i'm i'm gonna do this again and go back that november um was very quiet about it because mm-hmm. um i at the time was head of legal for a major renewable energy company in london and i'd sworn to the board that <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. antarctica was the, you know the last major expedition i would do where i needed you know two months off um, and after that I, anything i did would be like in normal annual leave um so i uh, had to keep quiet until i you know was ready to let them know and sort of beg <laughs> to, to go again <laughs> So and actually, really big risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, went back again, um, and the the plan again was to to go for the world record. Um, it's a big undertaking to do something like this twice. I wasn't sure if mm. I wanted to become known just for someone who repeatedly kept trying to ski to the South Pole and kept failing. Um, but it's also just a huge amount of money involved, um, mm. and so getting sponsors on board. I didn't know how they'd react to me saying, hey, guys, I think we're going to do this again. What do you think? Um, luckily for me, uh, they knew that I was going to do it again. It was just them sort of asking, um, you know, when are you going? Uh, off I went. Uh, but the focus this year, sorry, the second attempt rather, was very much on the record would be a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a big change kind of in my personality between the first attempt and the second attempt because the first attempt, I never said this publicly, but to family, friends, loved ones, it was very much a case of like, I am there for the record. Like, this is what mm. I do. It's my background is in sport. I'm, you know, I'm racing this thing. Um, and, and to come home and not have that and to mm. not even make the poll, I was absolutely, you know, I was gutted. Not, not for very long. That's not my kind of uh, attitude, but mm. for three days, I was miserable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then it's like, right, what, you know, let's go. Um, but going back the second time, it was like, I really did a lot of work on not making that the focus and the priority and wanting to make sure mm. that if I just reached the pole, that would be enough. And that's a big deal for me because that's not really mm. my mindset. Um, so yeah, I uh, went off again and um, this time I made it to the pole. Yay. Okay. <laughs> um, but I did not break the record. Um, I can't remember what I was now, like 44, 45 days. And the record mm-hmm. like earlier was 38. Um, but everything, everything was going so well. Um, and mm. I believe I would have uh, broken the record at one point. I was nearly a day and a half ahead of the world record pace um, until I got this injury in my leg. And I think that mm. was about roughly 100 miles from the end. Um, I started getting these ulcers on my leg, very small ones. Um, they're known as polar thigh. And mm. it's fairly common in, in, more in women than men um, on the bum and thigh area. But you can get it anywhere. It's still called polar thigh. I had a little bit on my mm. arm. And it's like a form of abrasion injury from the cold. Right. Um, I could talk. I do a whole podcast about polar thigh. I'm a real geek about it now, and I'm like <laughs> test subject in the UK for polar mm, thigh. I can imagine. Yeah, there's a couple of research papers, uh, medical papers coming out actually about um, my injury because it's um, it's probably it's the worst they've seen um, wow. of polar thigh. Um, but 
you know, it, the injury did not have to be that bad. Um, it was very much me not wanting to stop. And I think people can maybe understand why after attempting it once, not getting there. I'm back for the second time. It's a huge deal to be back here. There's no, there was just no way I was, I was stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that week, um, so just to explain, every night, every evening when you're doing um, a solo expedition like this in Antarctica, part of the rules for you being there is you have to dial in um, to um, base camp, if you like, every evening on the satellite phone mm-hmm. just to answer a few questions, let them know you're alive, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And every night um, for those last hundred miles, the doctors tried to, to medically evacuate me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so close to the South Pole at this point and I wasn't I wasn't sick I wasn't unwell I didn't have a fever uh, so I kept politely saying no <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm really glad I didn't but it did mean that I ended up with a far worse injury than I than I needed to um mm-hmm. it sort of doesn't get better until you get out of the cold yeah um, and yeah looking back now I mean like you said it's a really gruesome um injury there's photos of it um on my uh Instagram page if anyone wants to yeah. have a look at what we're talking about <laughs> it sort of looks like the inside of a pomegranate um yes <laughs> it almost doesn't look real honestly because you know I, I I'm not massively squeamish anyway but I still kind of looked at it going that doesn't look because <laughs> I don't think it's anything like most people will never have seen something like that. I mean, the closest thing I could imagine it looks like is a burn or like an acid burn type thing. Absolutely. But yeah. It sort of so, doesn't look real because there's no blood. There's no like, it's just yeah. sort of quite, yeah. So I'm, I apologize for calling it gross, but I no, it just, I was sort gross. of picking up on you saying to people on the, on the post, like, do not, do not swipe right or left if you're, if you're in any way going to go. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and so why do they, and you probably, maybe you don't know the answer, but are they any closer to finding out why it affects women more than men? Is it to do with fat content or? Yeah, it's kind like of where we carry percentage. our fat. So men mm. we get it, but more on their abdomen and that's where they carry their fat. Um, yeah. But you tend to be more kind of protected there from the wind on your abdomen. And I guess your arms are slightly in front mm-hmm. of the abdomen as well. Um, it's changing all the time. The advice on polar thigh, I very much followed um, everything uh, all the kind of rules, all the kind of well-known things to avoid getting polythi, and I still got it really badly. Mm. Um, so they think now a lot of it is to do with genetics. Ah. Um, it, it's a really, really fascinating topic, and I could geek out on it for a very, very long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've actually been asked to do a couple of medical podcasts recently, and it's just to talk about the polythi. They're not wow. in any of the adventure side. It's just <laughs> it's an extreme case A of polythi. <laughs> oh, um, wow. But yeah, like you say, a lot of people, when they saw it in hospital, um, they thought it was a burn. If they hadn't known the story, it looked um, uh-huh. like a burn, but it didn't behave like a burn. Right. And it's the first time they've been able to look under the hood um, of a polar thigh injury because they operated on it. And um, it's a lot, a lot of it's to do with vasculitic changes, but basically what they, how they thought polar thigh was caused was maybe incorrect. Oh, wow. Um, so they, I mean, the doctors really geeked out over it. And um, the whole time I was in hospital, I had doctors who traveled from other hospitals just because they wanted to have a look at it. And people coming <laughs> from different departments and all these medical. Here, have a look at my inside thigh, please. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also any medical appointment I've had then, if they've had to kind of see my leg or whatever, people would be like, oh my goodness, what is this? Um, yeah. tell them and look up your medical file and more and more people come to have a look um, so I've done my bit for the, for the medical <laughs> profession well, well done <laughs> <laughs> you're advancing medical science just by being you absolutely yeah <laughs> and what so I read I've read quite extensively on your like you know your blogs and Instagram and interviews and things that you've done uh, but I'm quite fascinated by 
the the line and I, I've asked lots of my guests before about the line where you go okay yeah this I cannot continue with because you clearly had mm-hmm. got to that before on the first attempt you knew whatever the symptoms were that, that you were ill enough that you just could not continue what where why was that line different this time Oh, so to be honest, I um, put up a fuss about being medivaced the first time with a bowel infection. Mm. Um, I did not want to be medivaced, and I was maybe not as truthful as I should have been about how ill I was. Mm. Um, so that's like a big thank you to the doctors who speak to you on the phone who could tell that I was, you know, I think they're used to dealing with people like me, and so they can maybe know that I was I was worse for wear than I was letting on. Uh-huh. Um, the line... Uh, <laughs> There's just there was just not a chance in hell I was not reaching the pole a second time yeah. around. I don't think I could have handled it. I mean, I could, I could, yeah. like I said, I, I'd um, done a lot of work on myself to not care so much about getting the record. So, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful that I did that because I couldn't have cared less about the record, yeah. and I still feel like that now. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> No, the line just about the you know giving up, not giving up. You know how yeah. badly injured or ill do you have to be before you go? Okay, now I'm being stupid, or irresponsible, or whatever. I think some people could say I, I was being irresponsible by carrying on with that leg, um, but mm. to me, I needed to reach the pole. Um, it was <laughs> almost like closing a chapter on Antarctica in a way. Yeah, and there's no yeah. way I was coming back a third time. And I know my character; I would have come back a third time if I hadn't reached the pole. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have said. Do you know what? It's time to move on. I would have had to, to finish what I'd started a long time ago. Um, but uh, coming uh, coming back um, and being in hospital, it was only for about a week while I had two operations. But I did see um, a psychologist in hospital. Um, mm. The surgeon's there. The surgeon was actually my husband, um, but he <laughs> he didn't operate. <laughs> he got his colleague to do it. Uh-huh. Um, but I, the best thing I ever did was speak to that psychologist because. Uh, I think I've I've known I can push through painful things, hard things, fine. And um, that's how a lot of endurance sport gets mm. it gets done. But even I was very freaked out that I was um, mentally able to push through that level of physical pain. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not totally sure it's the best skill set to have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'm very aware of it now. Um, yeah. And some people I know would be like, would I hell, you know, trade reaching the South Pole for the scar you now have on your inner thigh um to me I would um and I yeah. would again um but I'm not too bothered about what my legs look like so um and I, mm. I don't mind anymore I'm used to it but it, it could really bother some people um so the trade-off is worth it to me but also to bear in mind there's no lasting damage like I have not affected the muscle yeah you know, right? if I had a different conversation um I'd feel like a bit mm. of a muppet <laughs> um, but I'm I'm okay with it. So yeah, I I don't know. I've always wondered where is the line? Where is the line where I will say, do you know what? Hands up, I'm stopping. Yeah, um, and I still it still hasn't happened. But I'm I'm definitely now. I need to be more careful because uh, you know I ended up with this big injury, and I guess I was lucky this time. Some people say I wasn't lucky, but to me I was. Yeah. Um. So who knows? Yeah. I'm so I'm quite interested about the pain because mm. you know from what you've described in what I've read and and what you've just said now is like properly unimaginable pain. Now I also know you've not long had a baby. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. Um, you know because I haven't had polar thigh, but I've you know had a couple of babies. What, <laughs> like 
<laughs> on the scale of having a baby, <laughs> what are we talking for two weeks? Is it like two weeks worth of labor? <laughs> so um, I can't, I don't know about labor because I had a C-section. Ah, there you go. So that was entirely pain-free. <laughs> Thank goodness, that would have been awful. Uh-huh. Um, so I can't really compare it. But um, yeah, no, I I haven't experienced labor um, I'm sure it's more painful than polify. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, well, I don't know. It sounds like you were pretty, yeah, but most people don't go through labor for two weeks. So, uh, <laughs> but it, uh, so you, and what did the psychologist help you understand about yeah. how you were able to sustain that level of pain? Was it because of the work you think you'd done beforehand and the mindset and the, I'm not bloody well doing this again. Do you think if that had been your first attempt, you would have called it a day before that? No. <laughs> Still not? <laughs> yeah. The, I only met the psychologist twice, but she's such a mm. fascinating person and, and just read me like an open book when I thought mm. I was actually quite a closed book. <laughs> um, she's like, I've never met somebody so determined with, with the amount of grit that you have, like you were going to get there no matter what. And I, I had a little bit of PTSD afterwards, and that was oh, yeah. um, to do with the shower I had to have um, in Antarctica. Not at the South Pole, there aren't showers there, but when I got back to the main base camp to wash out the leg, um, I had a bottle of whiskey in the shower with me. <laughs> the doctor fed me um, opiates um, through the shower curtain. Oh. And um, I'm fine to talk about it now, but for like a couple of months, I, I couldn't without immediately being back in the shower in Antarctica. Oh. Um, and I, I was freaked out for maybe like four or six weeks about having a shower. That immediately As in like, because of the pain or yeah, because of what yeah. it looked like and the smell and the everything? Yeah, so the pain. So interestingly, I couldn't smell it. So um, when I arrived at the South Pole, there's two guides who were working there and I know them quite well. And they're like, hey, you made it. Congratulations. Da, da, da. And then, you know, a couple of beers, got chatting and they're like, holy crap, Jen, your leg stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had, I, hands on heart, I hadn't smelt it the entire, you know, 10 days, not wow. once, which is why I also thought my, I thought my leg was healing. Uh, I could see like crust on it. And I thought, hey, that's mm. fab. That's, everything's getting better. Um, and the psychologist thinks I was so focused on reaching the pole that my mind kind of tricked me. Um, so the sense of smell just was not there mm. and it's really hard to get your head around. I was like but if it because yeah. people who were there at the South Pole will tell you god it smelled of rotting flesh which is basically what it was and yeah. in one of the photos it's a big black patch and that is yes, tissue. so obviously that's going to smell I hand on heart could not smell it and mm. um, in at, at the South Pole in the little tent we all kind of shared while we're waiting to be picked up by the plane I, I kept smelling the polar thigh, put my nose right in it, and I still couldn't smell anything. And it was oh like a protective, God. I'm getting yeah. there. And the entire time in those 10 days, never, ever, ever did I entertain the idea of stopping. It just wasn't yeah. there. Um, but once I got back home and was in hospital, and for about a week afterwards, I was having very, very vivid flashbacks where the entire um, ward or hospital bed would turn into a huge whiteout storm. Um, just like uh. I experienced in Antarctica. But every time someone or something would suddenly appear and say, oh, sorry, you can't go to the South Pole. Um, it's uh. closed today. Or, um, sorry, you've got to go the other way around. <laughs> so turn around and go back. Um, or like all sorts of things. Like, sorry, you just, you're not allowed to come to the South Pole. We're only letting Australians arrive today. Or whatever. <laughs> like, really stupid things. And my the psychologist thinks it was my, my body had made it and my brain hadn't yet caught up with the fact that I'd done it and it was finished and was still processing. Um, 
so yeah, it was it was quite a it was quite a crazy time. Um, I don't remember a lot of it uh, getting back to the UK, the surgery, mm. because from when I arrived at the South Pole, there was a doctor there, and he kept me high as a kite on <laughs> beer. So that is what I was on. Um, so I had a great time. My memory of the South Pole and everything was a lot of fun. Um, it's like a great big party. Yeah, I now realise why he was doing that. It was to kind of yes. keep me comfortable because um, they couldn't really do much for me there. I'm interested also in the mindset change bit that you were talking about because it made me think when you said that, I was thinking about, I don't know if you've read um, James Cracknell and Ben Fogel's oh, yeah. uh, When They Crossed the Atlantic. Yes. Oh. And there's that they had those two very different mindsets about, you know, Cracknell wanted to win, Fogel just wanted to get there. Yeah. And when they discovered after their radio came back to life or something, I've read so many ocean rowing book books, <laughs> I can't remember what their actual uh, radio situation was, but they found out they'd won and James Cracknell went to pieces. And he'd been like the focused one the whole way across and the sort of like keeping them on track. And he just went to pieces because even though they were still like a week away, he knew they'd won and that he just lost it. Whereas Ben Fogel's focus was getting to Antigua. And so, because they were not there yet, because they had not achieved his goal, his purpose, he managed to keep it together and had to hold the whole thing together for the the last week or however long it was. And I'm, I just, I find that absolutely fascinating yeah, that sort is. of and that the work that you said you did in order to go about the second attempt really differently yeah that also I think um you'll find that Fogel would have had a lot more enjoyment for the rest of the mm. um whereas Cracknell to him it was sort of oh it's done now this is boring <laughs> yeah um yeah I it took a lot of work um because and I remember before I left the first attempt my husband said to me hey, you might want to say, you might want to start focusing on the fact that your number one goal is to get to the pole. A world record's nothing but a massive bonus. And I remember mm. saying to him, absolute BS. Like, that's not mm-hmm. how I feel. Um, if I come home and I've made the pole, but I don't have the record, I'll be absolutely gutted. I'll probably want to do it again. Um, because yeah. the, 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 phys- the physicality, like getting ready for something like this is a huge part of what I love. Mm. Um, so I trained alongside with a full-time job to get ready to break the world record. Um, and mm. It's very much a different kind of training um, from my point of view than just training to complete it. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was very, very difficult um, to, to not only switch the focus for the second attempt, but to actually mean it. Not to just say, yeah, I don't care about the world record, but to really deep, deep down yes. actually yeah. feel it too. Um, and I was worried that when I got back, um, give me a time to kind of process the injury, blah, blah, blah. But I was worried that a few months later, I might start to do the whole, well, actually, it turns out I really did want to beat the record. I think I want mm. to go back and do it again. <laughs> um, and that hasn't happened. Um, apart from I had... Um, 24 hours of lockdown in lockdown rather where I was like "Ooh, I think I want to do it again um but that didn't last which is good <laughs> uh, but I still think about Antarctica all the time like just today um I was like walking and it just I think about Antarctica a lot still more so than any other expedition or adventure yeah. I've done um there's something that really kind of uh Antarctica is just the most incredible place I've ever been on planet earth um but yeah and have you heard of that as other of other Antarctic because I know you know a lot of Antarctic explorers and and so on is it something that 
you, that gets under your skin that just gets pardon the pun because yeah. clearly <laughs> oh dear oh what a terrible faux pas but it's well, got on skin since I was introduced to yeah. um, it takes some of your skin in your case but yeah but is it something that many people that you know feel that way about absolutely yeah the I I, I know a lot of people have done expeditions there and they want to come back and do something else there. But I also know a lot of people who work there. They've become very, very good friends. And I guess that's because I was there over two seasons. Uh, I spoke with the, the main company who do logistics there, Antarctic Logistics, about a job there. They were like, come on, you're here so often. We might as well employ you. Um, <laughs> and, um, and for a while, I was like, yeah, I think you know, I would like to work a couple of weeks of the year as a guide over there. Um, but it's time now to do other things. Um, but I, mm. I, I swear, I think about Antarctica every day still. Mm. Um, if, if anyone, I mean, it's a very, very expensive place to visit. Yeah. Uh, but I always say when people ask, like, oh, you know, should I go on holiday to Antarctica? Um, I wouldn't just go where I went. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I would definitely, if you money's no option, I'd do like a like a cruise or something um, mm. around the shores of Antarctica. I think that would be incredible. I got given the opportunity to apply to to do a much shorter expedition, like a three week. Oh, something I can't even actually remember now. And it was one of those ones where like somebody said, this is the opportunity. And literally without even thinking, I had quite little kids at the time. I just said, yeah, definitely. I'm in. <laughs> and I came home and I said to my husband, I've just applied for this thing. And he was like, okay, that's me. And it didn't come off and, and it didn't it actually, I don't think even the expedition has come off, but I just remember thinking when we, when do you ever get asked to do that it's like um al humphreys says if anyone ever asks you to row an ocean say yes immediately (laughs) (laughs) so because yeah i'm supposed to be rowing the pacific right now (laughs) i know that so i i well i read that i did i don't think i knew that at the time Um, but how are they doing it's the girls who dare is that right yeah they're doing really well um i think they just had to set their power anchor down um but yeah i've I've loved following them and um able to keep in touch with them using telegram which is amazing Oh, how cool! Yeah. And uh, is this this was baby related? The reason you're yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah, I um, it's a bit as you know, you read a lot about ocean rowing and you're interested in it. Um, it's a big deal to kind of pick the team that you're going to do that with. Yeah, massive. Um, so we met. I think lock, the first lockdown had just started to lift, so you were allowed to meet um, in a coffee shop, whatever. So we had a whole day together. Um, and by the end of the day, we were like, right, this is it, ladies. And just, I just knew straight away there was a very yeah. big connection. They're amazing women. Um, and it was like, oh, my God, this is it. And then I got home <laughs> and the next morning did a pregnancy test and it was positive. And I was like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> wow. Sorry, that sounded like a really disappointing <laughs> noise I made there. But like, I mean, it must have been like the hardest thing ever. It was really bizarre because uh, we'd been you know, trying for a few months. And so it was like, mm. this was obviously very wanted um, but I had yes. to tell them. So I had to, I told them that day. So they were the first people who knew, obviously, about my <sighs> husband. And I just, I couldn't, you couldn't just pull out. I'd sound like such an oddball if I spent the whole day with this amazing woman. We really got on. They'd be like, sorry, I changed my mind. Um, so I told them why. Um, I did have a split second where I looked at Matt and I was like, you sure I can't do both? And he was like, no, like, <laughs> look at the calendar. It doesn't work. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. She'd be like seven weeks old. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the desire I, I didn't know actually if the desire to want to do an ocean or actually anything like that again if I'd still have that mm. once I had a baby 
Um, mm. And I'm only seven weeks in, so who knows? But right now, I, I, I'm very much still the person I was before. Mm. Um, and I do still want to do an ocean row. Um, and I'm probably planning that for um, in the next two years. Oh, it's absolutely a hundred percent on my bucket list. Like I'm just sitting here, like talking to you, looking at my like reams of ocean rowing. Well, maybe I should like be that. asking you if Al said if someone asked you to row an ocean, you can't say no. Did you want to row an ocean? <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm I'm quite significantly older than you, so I'd have to like be going for old lady records, though. Like yeah, honestly, <laughs> the age thing is just nothing to do with it. The, um, there's a huge yeah. amount of research. The older you are as a woman in endurance mm. events, the better you perform. Yes. No, I'm uh yes. Well, yes, clearly I'm in. Yes, yeah, of course. We said right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, <laughs> you're on we'll record of saying that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty handy at editing, but no, never mind. <laughs> so but talking of which, let's I, I that brings me yeah. on to something else I wanted to talk to you about. You're a massive uh ambassador for women in sport and have been for a very long time in very different parts of the world. Talk to me a little mm. bit about that, because I love that. That's amazing. Um, it started actually because I was training to do the Marathon de Sable um, mm-hmm. for a second time and I moved to Morocco and my coach um, was Mohamed Ahansel. Oh, yes. Um, I'm sure you've heard of. He's one. I have. brother husband's trained with him as well. Oh, really? Oh, yes. wow. Um, so we actually, we ended up running training camps in Morocco um, together. We both coached um, ultra runners. But before that, yes, I moved out to Morocco and lived um, in a tent um at his training facility and I trained with other Moroccan women that he coaches too and um, they all speak French French is my first language so Mm -hmm. communication was pretty straightforward um and it just became very very obvious to me they were brilliant runners and I was pretty mediocre in comparison Mm -hmm. um and they're it's the marathon de Sable Morocco was a bit like I don't know uh, the world cup in football it's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's or whatever. So it's like they all watch it on TV for the week. Oh, really? Um, they're very, very proud of it. And um, so for these women, it would be incredible to take part in the Marathon Sab. But as you know, it's something like three, four thousand pounds oh, to huge. enter. Um, it's cheaper for Moroccans, but you know, it's still, it's still a couple grand. Mm. And I just felt really crappy uh, because here I am, the sponsored athlete. Um, I haven't paid to do this, and even if I, you know, if I wanted to, pay, I paid the first time I did it. Uh, I could, I could pay to do it. Um, and you're much better runners than I am. Mm. Um, and so I started a foundation. It was maybe a year or two after that. And uh, it was to, it basically is to help women like the ones I, you know. Uh, met in Morocco to end up with sponsorship um, to learn a little bit of English so they can take part in, you know, interviews with their sponsors, mm-hmm. to do some kind of blogs for them with help um, and just to help them kind of get a bit more noticed. And I did that alongside Mohammed um, and I absolutely love it. So basically every year, although we haven't done it for the last two years now because mm-hmm. of uh, COVID, every year we put together a team. It's normally a team of four women. And we'll take part in sort of an iconic race. Obviously, the first time it was the Marathon de Saab. Um, and the way I found to make it work uh, was using my connections, my sponsors. Um, so I've been in the team. I, I won't be going forward. But it, it, when I needed to get get it off the ground and get sponsors interested, it was kind of using me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Salmon, say, for example, were a big sponsor of the first team. Say, hey, I'm like Jen, I'm doing this, da, da, da. Um, and then that way they would also sponsor the Moroccan women. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're introduced to the Moroccan woman. And they now, like, for example, Salman now, can, they've carried on to sponsor one Brilliant. of the Moroccan women from the team. So that's that, that's what I want it to be, so it can carry on kind of nothing to do with me. Um, and I absolutely love it. Um, I have had so many opportunities come my way, and I very much like being able to to pass that on, like disseminate that. Mm. Um, and now it's kind of funded for the next few years. I don't know when we'll be able to do it again, but hopefully yeah. soon. <laughs> well, I think um, having two within, the, certainly Marathon and Sab's having two within about six months or something this year because of COVID uh, nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I saw that. That's bizarre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very protective um, of women, mm. not just like women I've met in, um, in places like Morocco, but even just in, in the world of adventure. Mm. Um, so yeah, I love, um, what we've been able to do with the foundation, but I had to, it took a while to kind of get sponsors on board. Cause you mm. know, initially someone would be like, okay, cause like the next country we're going to is, um, is Tanzania. Mm. And some of the sponsors you approach will be like, oh, amazing. We'd love to work with that team. But how many Instagram followers does you know, um, this lady have? And you're like, well, none. She doesn't have a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and so that happened quite a lot. And so the, what I learned was I get to leverage the following I have on social media. So it's basically just use me. Mm. And then it gets um, gets sponsorship for the whole team. Um, but I love it. And I really hope it starts up again soon. That is fantastic. And uh, I... What I am also really interested in, uh, partly interested, very much interested in the sort of allowing people who are, you know, sort of marginalized, as it were, you know, as you say, these amazing runners, but perhaps don't have the funds or the access to it. But also I am interested how you see keeping girls, teenage girls in that infamous stage in sport mm-hmm. like wh- how do we do that you know and I I ask in general but I also ask with a preteen daughter in mind because you know I just see the pressures of everything mounting oh, where do we go how do we do that <laughs> yeah it's really hard so I'm trying to think what I was like a teenager it was probably a bit of a nightmare but <laughs> but I always kept up sport mm. um but I guess that was just habit because I guess my parents approach to just make sure we didn't get into any trouble or too much trouble was to just bombard us with loads of sports and being yeah. on teams and all kinds of things. But as a teenage girl, there was definitely a period where I was like, I'm not interested in that, like go mm. away. Um, and I, at the time I swam for Scotland um, and I, I quit that. I was like, not interested, not doing it. I want to do like sleepovers and other mm. things, and boys, blah, blah. I think that's completely normal. Um, but you come back to it. Yeah. You know, I was sort of, as soon as I, maybe just before uni, I can't really remember, but that's when I was like, right, I've missed all of this and I'm straight back into it and got back into marathon running and things. So I think you just have to trust that the kind of, if you like the prep work that's been done before they become a teenager, um, they they will come back to it eventually. But, you know, you'll know this, but role models are are so Mm. important. Like I go into schools a lot to do speaking to girls in that age group Mm. um, and they just need to see other women doing it. Yeah. Um, and you know hear about it and see see kind of pictures um because a lot of them we would do work in primary schools as well but more secondary schools when we've gone into primary schools um this is like my role as a uh, polar ambassador to the uk and so they have me go into a lot of schools mm. and they have a whole curriculum about polar exploration that they do with the kids for like a month or two and they get them to draw this is um how old are they well uh, seven to eight year olds maybe mm-hmm. they get them to draw what is it you know draw a polar explorer and boy or girl, they will always draw 
a man <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it always fascinates me if there's ever like this one little kid who draws a girl I'm like yes come here you're amazing you're <laughs> you. um, uh, so yeah it's just about being more more visible um, yeah. and all kinds of women being more visible in front of front of teenage girls but I think you probably do lose them for a little bit uh, but yeah but they'll come back because <laughs> well, I've talked to lots of different um, guests about that. Dee Kafari, the Round the World Yachtswoman, oh, yeah. um, uh, as well as oh, others have talked about all the sort of the sort of hideous time where they, you know, they they get periods. They don't know, you know, especially on a boat, on a sailing boat. You're like, well, where do I go? How do I change things? All the coaches are men, and you know, so it just yeah. be or and the role. Uh, one of my guests talked very eloquently about the role that fathers play in in this sort of thing because you know dads need to be involved so that they know that if there is a weekend they take their daughter away and she has her period that she can rely on him not to be weird about it and it's totally. you know this is quite a lot of extra stuff that I hadn't really sort of considered but it's also one of the reasons I took up sport I didn't take up sport till I was 38 and uh, it was one of the reasons because at the time I had a two-year-old daughter and I my husband is super, super sporty. And I suddenly thought, although oh, this is no good because I don't want her to just see daddy doing adventures and coming home all sweaty and euphoric. It's got to be mommy doing gritty adventures as well. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. There have to be role models um, for them. So good. Awesome. I love it. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to ask you was, I, I wanted to go back to uh, a few things you said that go sort of wind us back quite maybe far into your childhood one is the having brothers one is um the you talked about having this insane amount of grit that someone said to you that they had never seen before and also French being your first language so I'm kind of thinking that all those come from quite an early age how is French your first language <laughs> so I grew up in Borneo Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my parents worked for a French oil company there, ah. uh, Total, and um, I went to the French school yeah, from <laughs> the age of six, I think, five or six, Yeah, and then came back to the UK when I was 12, 13, right. um, which is an interesting experience as a teenager <laughs> to go yeah. from hanging out in the rainforest to Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm about to send a child from the Swiss Alps to Oxfordshire for boarding school. So I, wow. <laughs> I'm sort of imagining he's going to hit the same kind of, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and so you grew up in Borneo. That sounds amazing. Like from a terms of adventures and just getting into the dirt and amazingness. Yeah. Um, it was a very kind of, now I look back, I didn't realize it of course, at the time, but it was very protected um, in terms of there wasn't, there was only one TV channel. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't really remember watching TV because there wasn't anything to watch. Yeah, um, I remember families from the UK sending my parents um, recordings on um, VHS of like Thunderbirds, <gasps> things like that. So that's all I had. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was getting up to all sorts of my brothers um, in the actual rainforest. Um, we volunteered at like a orangutan and mm. um, conservation site and um I absolutely loved it I, it honestly was the shock of a lifetime to come back to this country um, <laughs> I can't say I loved the UK I didn't really understand it yeah. <laughs> uh, even like that things like why do people wear a school uniform because you know in the tropics we obviously didn't wear a school uniform we just went to school in like um t-shirt and shorts um but, but yeah it was, I think 
I asked my parents, why do you think I'm the way I am? And they're like, oh, God knows. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think Borneo must have played quite a part um, mm. just being outdoors all the time. Um, and are yeah, your brothers like them. that? Are they sort of sporty and adventurous as well? They are probably in different ways. Like would they do something like Antarctica? No. Um, but they're definitely interested in doing like smaller things with mm-hmm. me. And um, most people – if I suggest something to do in the family, there's like lots of eye rolling. I'm like, no, I don't think we'll do it with you. Thanks. <laughs> you, uh, you probably want to run up it. Um, so my friends are like that too. But yeah, they're 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 adventurous in their own kind of unique ways. Um, doesn't mm. have to be in like business. It can be. It doesn't have to be necessarily yeah. in the outdoors. But I, th- I think we're all a pretty resilient bunch, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so, where do you think that like supersonic grit came from then? Oh gosh, I really wish I had a good answer because I get asked this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I've asked my parents, but like I said, they, they don't really know. Um, I think my memory of like growing up is everything was always available. So if I was like, I really want to have drum lessons, it was like, okay. But there was always kind of, you know, you've got to stick with it for six months no matter mm-hmm. what. Like mm-hmm. if we're doing this for you, we're, we're not buying you a drum set. You can make one out of pots and pans or you can hire one you know we'll try different things mm-hmm. um if i said i was going to do something you know i really got into horse riding it was like fine that's okay we'll do that and i realized my parents would spend their lives driving us to sports mm-hmm. and <laughs> different thing a real taxi service but i think i was i was always encouraged to give everything a go um but if i you know didn't like it after one time or didn't like swimming or cricket or whatever it was tough um yeah I had agreed that I was doing it for a certain amount of time you know you've you said you told the coach you joined the team you can't just quit um so even if I didn't like something I kept going um for like a, a certain um period of time um and I've definitely carried that on in adult life and you know nine times out of ten you end up absolutely loving it it's fine um so yeah I, I don't have a perfect answer for where that kind of resilience came mm. from um, but a mix of, of have things. you read um the book grit pa- a power of passion and perseverance is that uh, so the one that's been recommended to me a lot is, is it angela duckworth yes yeah yeah so because i you basically have just summarized her book in about three sentences <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting so i have read it um and i don't want to sound uh awful when i say this but when i read it i was like oh yeah that's me that's me yep mm-hmm. that- yeah, that sounds just really familiar. Um, it's a great, it's a really great book. But what I think I like most about that book is um, it gives you ways of like, if you want to build more resilience into your life, you can. It's something you can absolutely work on. It doesn't yes. matter if you didn't have this childhood or that wasn't, you know, on the cards. It's completely irrelevant. You can you can build it um, yourself. And so for me, uh, I, in the sport things, that might come a bit more naturally because of my, because of growing up. But in the kind of business world, I'll give you an example. Like I... When I was younger, I had the biggest, biggest fear of um, talking in public, mm. um, doing presentations, you know, as a lawyer or whatever. Um, now, um, I'm the co-founder of a, a startup in the femtech space. Um, I'm a keynote speaker for all sorts of things about Antarctica, being an endurance athlete, that kind of thing. And there's just no fear there at all anymore, mm. which I can't really believe <laughs> because I, it was so debilitating when I was younger. But because I was so terrified of it, and I would have been like, I don't know, <clears throat> 22, 23, just coming out of uni, junior lawyer. Um, I was determined that any time someone asked for a volunteer to do some kind of talking event, my hand would shoot up. I just had to, I had oh, to do it. That, I had to approach it that way. 
um, because I would never would have done it otherwise. <clears throat> and I would like say yes and then freak out about it later and like really prepare, <laughs> you know. Um, and it it got rid of it. It got rid of the fear, <clears throat> not immediately. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've always been very aware that I have to put myself in front of difficult things. Um, that's how I kind of uh, grow. It just works for me. Yeah, no, that I I love that because I and actually I can relate to it because I, while was always having been uh, a chatterbox, I hated speaking in public, and I became an event manager and had to give briefings, and oh, yeah, I hated it. And then I became an account manager, and I'd have to pitch to clients, and so and I hated it, and I hated it, and now. I coach executives <laughs> on oh, how wow. to do presentations. Oh, wow. I do my <laughs> my whole life is is speaking like the podcast. I'm a sports well, there presenter, you go. commentator yeah. because I don't think I remember having quite such a determined sort of strategy as you. But I absolutely know firsthand that what you just said is a hundred percent true. You can teach yourself because I absolutely hated it, like sweated buckets and just. Oh, the fear was massive. And yeah, now that's what I do for a living. So there, there you go. go. <laughs> By that book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that is a book. It is an awesome book. I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about the sort of, there, there's a kind of a turning point between you obviously being sporty and having had this great childhood and then graduating, going in to be a lawyer and then to doing what you do now because you ended up in hospital and you made a big list. Have I understood that correctly? You sort of, you were quite, there was a yeah, bit of a switch. There wasn't, there wasn't really a list, but there was, um, I was doped up on morphine when it mm-hmm. happened. <laughs> it happened to you quite a lot, Jenny, I'm thinking from our chat. Yeah, quite, quite a taste for the opiates, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was working as a lawyer at a major law firm in London. Um, we're kind of getting home at 11 p.m. It was a total win for me, which sounds yeah. mad now. But when you're younger, you're like, yeah, yeah, this is amazing. I'm going straight to the top. I'm going to be a partner in five years. This is amazing. Mm. Long story short, um, they found a tumour. Uh, my abdomen um, turned out to be benign, but we didn't know that um, until they could treat it to shrink it because it was mm. so large they couldn't wow. operate on it immediately um, or biopsy it. Um, so I had a few months of um, treatment that involved um, involved actually putting me into a temporary menopause. Oh, my word. Um, the growth was on my ovary. And so I've experienced menopause. That was unpleasant. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, yeah. Well, at least you know it's um, coming in a few years because I'm completely <laughs> clueless and it's 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 hunting me down. Let me tell you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was it was it was a lot. Um, and yeah. Then after that, I had two months of treatment. I had the operation. Um, and whilst I was in hospital, um, I don't remember doing it at all. I borrowed my dad's iPad and I signed up to the marathon de Sab. <laughs> And um, I think at the time, my mom, I, I hand on heart knew I was going to be fine. I don't have mm. the mindset. I've never had, I don't have the mindset of someone who thinks the worst is going to happen. I always yeah. think everything's going to be fine. Best is gonna, things going to happen. Um, and actually the doctor, the surgeon asked me, I wasn't allowed to come to any more appointments without uh, a family member or a friend because he didn't think I was listening or taking in how grave the situation might be. Mm. Um, I remember that bugging me because I was like, just because you're a negative Nelly doesn't mean <laughs> I am. Um, but fine. So yeah, mom or dad would come along, whatever. Um, and yeah, I had the surgery, um, like I said, uh, signed up to MDS and then completely forgot about it um, because I, I was on a lot of morphine. And um, it was at Sunday lunch with the family months later that my email went, 
and sorry, I hadn't fully signed up. I was on the waiting list because it was only oh, about yes. six weeks before the event. So I wasn't. And I got an email um, from the race committee being like, ta-da, um, you, your spot um, is available. If you want it, let us know in 24 hours. Otherwise, we'll offer it to someone else. And it was like, what the hell? And then so I was like, oh, my God. And my dad was like, yeah, I, I kind of, I do remember that. And I was like, wow. Okay, yeah, I'm just, just going to do it. Yeah. And um, I, I remember, like, watching videos of people doing the MDS. And I was like, this just looks incredible. Mm. Um, I went out. To, this is before I set up the training camp with him, but went out to train with Mohammed for a week. Um, and that race is probably where the love of all things endurance uh, kicked off, apart from like, you know, marathons before mm-hmm. that. Um, and that, I mean, I would do that race again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing it next next year. Oh, well, huh. I was, except I've just been diagnosed with potentially needing a hip replacement so oh no yeah I know it's been sad times Shay friend in the last week or so because I'm yeah not in I'm I've had to cancel my place my much coveted long awaited already training for with Elizabeth Barnes place in the marathon Um, sub so yes sorry yeah no well thank you I I'm, I'm I'm okay because you know what there's plenty more adventures in me yet it's just it won't be that one (laughs) <laughs> or so if it is, it'll be in a few years' time when I've got my new hip and I'm like exactly. rocking a new hip and I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes, no, it is. It, it just looks amazing. My husband's done it, and friends of mine have done it. it and and you're probably about, I don't know, you're the you're my last guest for this series, and the first guest of the series was Elizabeth Barnes, and at least six people, I think, in between have said, oh yeah, MDS, that's just amazing. It's so great. And I loved it. And it was one of my first adventures and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's, uh, it is so legendary. Yeah. It's a great, great event for sure. Mm. Do you think you'll do it again? Do you know, I was on the race committee for a while. Oh, were you? Um, yeah, I actually, uh, well, I didn't lose it, but I was just, I had to find Elizabeth Barnes's bag got lost. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> when you mentioned it, it made me laugh because I was like, we've just lost the winner's bag. What is going on? <laughs> and I got it back for her. She was totally chilled about it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, truthfully, I, I wouldn't do it again um, just because um, I'm aware of so many other events now. Yes. And the MDS is probably the most expensive one, four, four grand, something like that yes. now. Yes, crazy time. And, yeah, and there's so many other races you can do for a fraction of the price. Um, yeah. So, but it is, it is very much, especially in the UK, um, people kind of, that's the first one that they seem to do. And then a whole world opens up and they hear about other events and other races and you get the bug. That's exactly it. And I was interviewing Kath Wallace, the Australian endurance athlete who has done that, you know, so many of these and she's, she's a plus size athlete. And so she is encouraging people who do not look like Elizabeth Barnes, for example, to just say, come on, just do it. It doesn't matter if you're train, if you can train and be fit enough to be well and healthy to do it. It doesn't matter what you look like. Absolutely. And, uh, she has, she's putting together this amazing sounding website, which is giving it just basically all of those ones, those kind of races with humongous cutoffs, really generous sort of, you know, ability, you know, ability, people of almost all abilities can go and do. And I was like, oh, that sounds like the best website ever. <laughs> it does. <laughs> because yeah. it, they, you know, they do need to be so more, much more accessible. Of course, there will still be the Sierra Zinal sort of ultra elite Killian Journey things. But, you know, the fact that 
ordinary people with a bit of serious training can go and do something like the Marathon de Saab, I think is just amazing. I love Absolutely. that. Yeah. And so many people will say, oh my God, isn't that so incredibly hard? I'm like, well, it depends. Yeah. Do you want to do it faster than Mohammed Hansel? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it'll yeah. be really hard. <laughs> and it is hard, but that, you know, the, for me, yeah. the whole excitement of it is it's just like, well, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be brutal. I know it's probably going to make me cry and ha- trash my feet. But the adventure trumps all of it. Even you just saying that has made my heart rate go up. Like, <laughs> I just love doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah amazing. So what's next? Obviously, you're a new mama, so you're a little bit at home for the, the time being. But what sort of, what what are you thinking? Yeah, so um, next, it was, was supposed to be this October, but it's just been delayed again because of COVID. Um, so I'll be racing in the um, Adventure Race World Championships mm. um, with three other women. And amazing. Um, First time there's been a team of four women. Annoyingly, we don't, we will, we will not rank in the official rankings because the rules state you must have at least one male in your team. Yes. And we were going to do it that way originally, and apparently we still could have, we still could have billed ourselves, if you like, as the first all-female team. But that didn't quite sound right because there was one man in the team. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, we, yeah, we are an all-female uh, all team. We've been p- given permission to race as a team of four women, but wow. we won't be in the rankings. And I think we'd like to kind of be part of the conversation that that changes that, um, and maybe have different rankings, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. every other sport or event has. Um, so uh, as well, yeah. So that's I think that's in Paraguay, Paraguay, and that's oh, in next September. And yeah, there's a couple of other things coming up um, that are still kind of in the works. But I guess the next big thing um, that you've now on record said you're doing with me is um, to row the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. You just need to wait till I've got a new hip. That's all. Yeah. No, you're not allowed in unless you have a new hip. Exactly. Well, I just was saying to somebody, one of my former guests who is an an Atlantic ocean rower, um, and she and her team hold the world record for the oldest female crew to have done it and she's like Yorkshire lady yeah, Yorkshire yeah. Rose, exactly so Frances yeah. messaged me and she said oh Katie I'm so gutted to hear about your hip that's crap can you still row and I was like no and that's what made me cry in the appointment with the, oh. with the surgeon and uh and I said but I'm just going to wait till I get my new hip and then I'm going to go for oldest woman with newest hip world record <laughs> she's like old lady records are the best go for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah no that's uh, amazing atlantic row or something row for you uh, yeah brilliant it seems yeah and you know i love hearing about new mums sort of with the background that you've had but you know you, you obviously life will change and there is an ad- yeah. adaptation to to make which i'm sure you and your husband and your baby girl will make together but i love to hear you know that you sort of there's still plans because when I started sport, I was a new mom and I hadn't come from adventure or sport. So it was a massive deal <laughs> to yeah. sort of go, Oh God, am I a mom or am I someone who does this? And I love so much to hear that you're like, well, I can do both. So there we go. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I didn't know what to expect. And I was I totally at peace with the idea that it might change me to the point that I didn't want to do those things anymore, mm. which would be fine because that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, and I know it's only seven weeks in, but that's not how I feel. Good. And so I'm very grateful for for Matt um, for knowing this is the way I am. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is going to be a little bit different. But I think actually what I find interesting is how defensive I've got 
when people have suggested that I might not be able to do those things anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I really am like, I'm like, hold on. What are you saying? <laughs> That's not, you know, the baby does have two parents. And yeah, always like you just have to look at the likes of Laura Bingham to know that that's absolutely, not true. absolutely. Exactly. And yeah, there's definitely a period of time where, um, there's a primary caregiver and that is me and breastfeeding. And so yeah. I can't go too far. Um, but, uh, I don't agree in sort of, I, I hope, um, I won't feel in the future that I can't go and do these things because it still very much right now feels like a big part of me. Yeah, um, and, and and there you go. You're sat now becoming a role model for a whole new sort of part of female psych, uh, you know, uh, society. What I'm trying to say. Yeah, I hope so. Like it's not. I don't think it's a case of saying I'm trying to have it all. Um, there's you know, there's definitely compromise. Yeah. Um, and there already has to have been. And so I've, I think we've never been this organised because that's the only way it kind of works. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I, you know, I remember when I was pregnant, I had, um, I, I took a while to tell my sponsors mm. and I've got no idea why, because they're obviously not going to say, right, well, your contract's cancelled and we're yeah. booting you out. Well, you just don't know though. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I was a bit sad that I still felt like that in 2021, mm. um, but I did. And so I kept it quiet till maybe like a month to go and they, everyone was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? You're able to me? Why do you say anything? Well, Instagram um, didn't know until your baby was about a month old or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad at posting on Instagram. Um, I think I'm also, I'm very aware there's a lot of people who struggle uh, with fertility. Yeah, um, no, that is. And so, yeah. and the, the startup that I co-founded is very much in that space. And mm. um, I'm just very aware with working with women um, on Ovum that it's very painful for them to see pregnancy bumps. And yeah. Um, so yeah, that combined with me being crap at remembering to post on Instagram, <laughs> it wasn't on there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt very, very defensive when, for example, sponsors might have said, um, oh, it's amazing you're pregnant, congratulations. Oh, so should we just leave it for this year mm. and next year? And I'm like, no, it doesn't mean I can't do anything now. And yeah. I didn't know how I'd feel once I had a baby. And maybe mm. I still don't, only seven weeks in, but I got very, very defensive that there might be this idea that I was suddenly just never going to do anything again and if I had that would have been fine but that's not how I feel so but yeah anyone's listening dare suggest to me that I might not be able to go an ocean in the future (laughs) yeah no I follow this amazing girl one of the main sport I commentate for is ski mountaineering and there's um so the current world champion who was crowned world champion in uh what are we now we're in June she was crowned world champion in April her baby was born last August. Wow. And she wow. is not an Instagram person. She's not, she just, she just absolutely, she flew through this season and then she'd rock up to the podium with the baby strapped to her and we'd all be like, yeah. <laughs> and then another girl that I follow that was, that, that was originally going to talk about, she's just had a baby, um, you know, but young with lots of experience, professional athlete with, with, sponsors and and everything and I I you know my my biggest hope is that there's not a pressure to do that because I know what it's like to be a new mum I know how exhausting and mind-bending it can be but I do see and I hear from you and I see from them that it is possible and it is as long as you have the right support and the right I think mindset has a lot to do with it, that it's, you're not doing it because everybody else thinks you have to, or because you might lose your sponsors. So I'm slightly yeah. waffling on, but it, cause no. it's a fairly alien concept to me, as I say, because it was not something I experienced when I was a new mum. but right I then, love yeah. to hear it because it's, it's teaching me something new about how women can be with the right support and the right sort of mindset. 
Yeah, I mean, I also think, um, sounds a bit more negative, but I think, like, I'm fully sponsored athlete by the North Face, and I um, I think, I mean, they've been amazing. Mm. Um, so the other brands are sponsored me, but I'd like to think this day and age, brands realise, even if they had yeah. a slight problem with the fact that you were suddenly pregnant, they're going to be out of action for a while. Mm. Um, thanks to social media and the way we kind of live our lives online now, there's no way they could do anything to you. So you're quite protected <laughs> yes. in a way yes. by how open we are to society now, because... You know, if, if there was any kind of, if I ever felt, or if I got dropped, for example, uh, you know, maybe because. I would suddenly become very active on Instagram again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that would not go down well. You can imagine the repercussions. No. Yeah, um, so I think that kind of protects us a little bit. But, yeah, the, the the pressure, I think, is kind of I'm putting on myself, but it's not pressure because it's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think I think from what I'm learning, I think that's exactly what it is, you know, that, that it is like, you know, the, the, the hunger for it is still there. You just have to manage it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, the support network. So Matt knows who he married. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because both these women I'm talking about, they're both, their partners are also professional ski mountaineers. So, you know, they we know they, and, yeah. and parents are involved and, and there's help and, and it's just, you know, I think it's just fantastic. I really do. I think it's amazing. So um, now you've announced to everybody you're terrible on Instagram. Where where can we, you know, <laughs> hang out with you, find you? I'm, I'm terrible on my website too. It's so out of date. But yeah, it is. It is on Instagram, and I promise to try and be better. <laughs> so website and Instagram. Okay, I'll put those down on the, you know, with the sort of slight. Uh, uh, caveat. caveat yes thank you lawyer <laughs> there might not be regular updates oh Jenny it's just been an absolute pleasure to chat to you so just brilliant it. really fun and nice to have a Scottish accent at the end of the line as well that's also a little added <laughs> bonus um, and all the very best with the wee one and the adventures and you know drop me a line when the Atlantic calls and we'll see where the hip scenario is <laughs> Um, thank you so much thank you thanks thanks for joining me I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of chatting to a friend in the meantime please give us a follow on Instagram chatting to a friend for all the latest news bye bye